Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy, unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today I'm joined again with Dr. Rebecca Simon. This is her second time here. So it's a part two series of her piracy or her knowledge of piracy. She is a pirate historian and she went to King's College in London. She also has a book out called Why We Love Pirates and The Hunt for Captain Kidd. She's got another book coming out, The Pirate Queens. And I believe it's coming out in April in the UK as a UK release. And she's got some other things coming up, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But Dr. Rebecca Simon, thank you so much for joining me again. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me again. Well, I tell you, my listeners were like, you didn't ask her this and you didn't ask her that. And how authentic is black sales and all the things. So I was like, okay, well, we're going to start with black sales because that was, yeah. And we're just going to see, because they were like every single character in that show, they were actually people you guys talked about. So I was like, I I never watched black sales, so I didn't know. So what are your thoughts? So I'm halfway through black sales. So caveat on that. And I'm a little slow going through it, mostly because like I work so closely with pirates. But from what I've been seeing, I'm very impressed with the show. Now, of course, it's fiction. It's sort of meant to be kind of a prequel to the book Treasure Island, with Captain Flint being the main character who shows up in Treasure Island as the old sea dog at the very beginning of the novel. So it's kind of his story. But what I'm impressed with is how they weave in all the historical information to kind of make it work in a fictional setting, such as the whole premise of the show seems to be going after the Spanish treasure ship, the Urca de Lima, which has crashed on the coast of Florida, where there's tens of thousands of Spanish bullion and silver that's just washing up on shore. This was a real event that happened in 1715. And so they've managed to kind of frame the whole show around that. And of course, they've got real pirates as characters. You have Charles Vane, Jack Rackham, and Anne Bonny, who are three protagonists of the show. In season two, the really sadistic pirate Ned Lowe shows up for several episodes. At the beginning of season three, you have Blackbeard show up. So that's all really impressive. But what they do is they have to modify the timeline. The show takes place around 1715-ish because of the Urca de Lima, but in the reality, many of the real pirates that we see come on the show were actually in Nassau at completely different times. So they get that incorrect, but it's for the sake of the show, and it's done well. So, you know, I'm not one of those historians who's like, oh, they got this minor, minor detail incorrect, unless it's a really stupid detail. That was no reason to get incorrect, (laughs) of course. But, you know, kind of messing with the timeline it works for the narrative of the show. And it's also people who are fans of pirates in general, you know, it's just fun and exciting to see these characters pop up on screen because they do them really, really well. Right. No, they really do. And now, like I said, I'm not uh, (laughs) the expert like you are, but what I've seen myself, because I started watching the first and I think I've watched the second episode. So I haven't watched nearly as much as you or some of my listeners. The first few of them revolve around Jack Rackham. And Mm -hmm. so I, and I was like, wow, okay. And I, I didn't know why they, why do you think they chose him and not maybe Blackbeard? Or maybe is it just because he's less known, do you think? That's an interesting question. And I've kind of wondered that myself. But I think what they maybe have brought him in for is, one, he did sail with Charles Vane, Mm -hmm. who is also one of the main characters. And Charles Vane is sort of set up to be kind of like this initially kind of a villain and then sort of kind of becoming this ambiguous character, whereas Jack Rackham is kind of like his sidekick. I honestly am not sure why they picked Jack Rackham, but I'm glad they did because they do his character so brilliantly well. 
Jack Rackham himself wasn't necessarily the best pirate, but he was a great strategist. He was cunning. He was intelligent. He was able to manipulate strings in a lot of different ways that I think, you know, many other pirates didn't quite do. And so the actor who plays him really seems to understand the pirate also as a narrative character. So I think he was also an interesting figure. But I think also one of the reasons is because without Jack Rackham, you cannot bring in Anne Bonnie who is another one of the main characters, the female pirate. So I think that's also kind of a reason. You have to have Charles Vane to come with Jack Rackham to have Anne Bonny because she was married to Jack Rackham, obviously in the television show, but also in real life. Right. And, you know, it's funny because I was like, why didn't they ask Dr. Rebecca Simon about this? Because you could have been a wealth of knowledge for them. Unfortunately, I was still a baby PhD student and no one knew who I was yet when it first started to air, which meant it, it aired in 2014, I believe, which meant production had probably started in like 2012. And at that point, I was applying for PhD programs, but... There's going to be a new pirate TV show on HBO, I think, called Our Flag is Death about Steed Bonnet, kind of a comedy. And I'm excited for it, but I'm also kind of like, oh, I wish they'd picked me to consult. But it's going to be a lot of fun just based on what I've heard. Well, you stay on standby for like the History Channel and maybe even other Netflix series because they do have your name and they do know who you are and they, they do value your opinion, as do we. So, okay. And also what I was curious about, we were talking about the, some of the female pirates. We didn't really get too much into them just because we talked about Blackbeard and Captain Kidd and Charles Vane. And by the way, that TikTok you did on Charles Vane. <laughs> oh, the one I did like the, the other day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I try to get some funny uh, some funny TikToks in there along with the informative ones. Those are fun to do. Yeah, and to my listeners, she did a TikTok on Charles Vane and I guess in black sales, you know, she has a picture of like whatever he would have looked like in that time or somebody's depiction of him. And then what black sales showed him as looking and he's a hot little number there, isn't he? Oh, yeah. He's very hot, very beefy, played by the really talented Zach McGowan. Um, If anyone listening is a fan of the show Shameless or was a fan of the show Shameless, he was in, I think, the first three or four seasons or three seasons. And he's such an opposite, opposite character of Charles Vane. It's like mind blowing. He's a great actor and he does Charles Vane brilliantly. That's awesome. Okay, so some of the female pirates, but let me ask you something first before we go into Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed. You had a TikTok or you had a video on a Chinese pirate, and I don't know how to pronounce your name. Zin Z, I don't even know. Uh, do you know who I'm talking about? I do, yes. And colloquially, she, um, people generally know her as Madame Chang. So she is a fascinating character. She's a pirate in the early 19th century. We don't really know much about her early life, except that we know that she was a prostitute, but she managed to marry a very powerful pirate captain. And as his wife, she was kind of the co-captain with him. And when he died, she took over the fleet and the fleet was hundreds, if not almost a thousand ships. And she commanded thousands upon thousands of pirates. She was also really progressive in that she allowed so many women to work on board ships and she had very strict laws about women's safety. If a man was even accused of assaulting her without proof, he would get thrown overboard. Like she was that hardcore. Um, She was also so powerful that the Chinese government just couldn't rein her in. She had too many pirates, too many ships. So what they did is they actually ended up paying her to retire and she decided to take the money. And then a story goes that she opened up some series of brothels when she moved back into China. So she's really, really 
powerful, very, very badass yes, female pirate. Was, like probably the most powerful. She was like a serious entrepreneur. If I can't do any kind of piracy, I'm going to open a, a series of brothels, not even just one. Like she had several. Yeah, yeah, several. I don't know how many, but I think it's like a small series of brothels. Right. And then back to Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed. So they were, at least Anne Bonnie was associated with Jack Rackham. So, and what we talked about before is they were very, you know, foul mouths and they dressed like men and they had their their blouses open when they fight and all the things. They were just as tough, really, as the guys were. So can you tell me a little bit more about them as far as did any of them have their own? I don't think any of them had their own ships, but did they have a bigger command with the captains than maybe just the regular people that they had on their other ships? Um, believe it or not, no. If they had been men, they wouldn't have been big deal pirates. Really? And neither would have Jack Rackham. Okay. The only reason why Jack Rackham really was famous is because he was their captain. But the reality is these two women, they both sailed with Jack Rackham and Bonnie as Jack Rackham's wife. Right. Um, she left her husband to be with him because her husband had turned pirate hunter. And um, Mary Reed was pulled into the crew. Now, we don't know how or why. The story most people seem to know comes from the 1724 publication, A General History of the Pirates, which is a large collection of pirate biographies of the most notorious pirates of the age, including Anne Bonny and Mary Reed. Now, the thing is, their story is mostly fiction. And oh, the story okay. goes that Mary had disguised herself as a man and, and Bonnie had fallen in love with her thinking she was a man on the ship. But turns out, you know, she finds out Mary Reed is actually a woman. But the two of them have this very close relationship anyways. And so it's kind of led to a lot of you know idea that this is the truth, and that the two of them were lesbian lovers, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. The reality is we don't know how Mary Reed entered the ship, but the governor of the Bahamas, Woods Rogers, wrote a proclamation demanding the arrest of Jack Rackham and the female pirates Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed, meaning people knew who she was right. before she entered the ship. And that meant she had never disguised her identity. So they were actually also only pirates for about two to three months from August oh, 1720 wow. until their capture in late October of 1820. So not a long time. And they only really had one major success and then a few small successes. They really weren't that successful at all. Wow. But yeah. yeah, they were really notorious, though, because these two women were really, really fierce fighters. Mm -hmm. They were known to swear more than the men. Yeah. They brandished their weapons and they were the really fierce fighters. In fact, at one point, they captured a woman named Dorothy Thomas and Jack Rackham said, oh, a woman, we need to let her go. And Anne Bonnie and Mary Reed were like, no, we need to kill her. Because if we let her go, she could speak out against right. us. They knew. Or as Jack Rackham, mm -hmm. yeah, Jack Rackham was like, no, we got to let her go. And so he's captain. He lets her go. And sure enough, Dorothy Thomas is one of the main witnesses at their trial Great. in Jamaica yeah. as a witness. And mm -hmm. she described them to fight in men's clothes, shirts open, kind of bearing their breasts. And this was kind of an intimidation tactic. It also could just simply be perhaps the men's clothes maybe didn't fit them properly. Lots and lots of things. But what's right. interesting is when they weren't fighting, they resumed their female dress. So they weren't disguising themselves at all. The reality is men's clothing is a lot better for fighting. Right. Oh, no, that makes sense. And, you know, on the beginning of Black Sails, they start in, I think it's at Nassau. I think that's where they are, you know, the setting. So can you kind of give me a little bit of an idea about how that looked? Was it pretty authentic? And I know that Woods Rogers, he was the governor. Eventually, he would be their demise. But and we can talk about that in a minute. But tell me what you think about the setting. And do you think it looked like that? You mean in comparison to the TV yeah. show, How to Nassau yeah. Look? 
I think they did it pretty well because, you know, NASA as a pirate community was quite lawless until a pirate named Benjamin Hornigold came in and sort of established order. And I think they do well of making it a very bustling port city. And there is a mixture of a lot of pirates coming in and sailors and also law abiding people living there. They center around one main tavern. But the reality is Nassau had probably one tavern for every five people. This is actually pretty standard in most plantation islands. But also Nassau, the Bahamas in general, were not a producing colony. So this meant that they weren't monitored nearly as closely as, say, Jamaica or Barbados or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think they I think they got it down really, really well, you know, and just in terms of the type of people that were there and the way pirates were coming in and also kind of how there were lots of like negotiations of how to fund pirate ships and pirate enterprises. I think they get a lot of these details really, really correct. Right. And also, can you kind of discuss with me the difference between like the Buccaneers and the East Indies and the British pirates, all those different kinds? What's the difference between those kinds? So the differentiation between Buccaneers and pirates is very, very slim. And some of it is actually just semantics. Although there are going to be historian, pirate historians who will disagree with me. That's what's fun is we all have our... Oh, yeah own opinions about this but the buccaneering period is really from the the early to mid 17th century and they are mostly french pirates who are sailing in and out of the caribbean antagonizing spanish and english ships because the spanish and the english are at war with each other over territory Mm -hmm. and they're kind of known for buccaneers because they actually spend a lot of their time on land and they hunt a lot of boar because they were very prominent on land and they would roast the meat and they also interestingly is they would roast the meat on ships which is very risky to do and kind of made them stand out a little bit and the term buccaneer kind of comes from the french term boucanier and i don't know the exact definition but it refers to roasting meat so that's kind of where the name really comes from but they were mostly french pirates in who kind of dominated the caribbean in the early to mid 17th century British pirates, you know, there were always British pirates. And, you know, both buccaneers and pirates do the same thing. They rob enemy, they rob ships, and they murder people. That is the legal definition of a pirate. The British pirates, they increase also around the same time as the French buccaneers because of all the wars that are happening in the Caribbean. There's a war between Britain and Spain called the Anglo-Spanish War over who controls Jamaica and other plantation islands. And pirates had actually set up shop in Jamaica at this time up until 1692 because there was an earthquake that sunk Port Royal, which is kind of a spit of land. It's a spit of land that kind of just juts off the coast outside Kingston, the capital of Jamaica, um, and pirates hung out there. But this major earthquake sunk part of it, and then the Navy swooped in. And then pirates scattered. And then there were a lot of British pirates in the East Indies, and that's particularly the 1690s, where you get Henry Avery and Captain Kidd, who are terrorizing Mughal ships and also some ships that belong to the East India Company. Gotcha. Then piracy actually kind of pauses for a while. Like, it never ends, but, like, mm-hmm. major piracy pauses. And this is because another war breaks out called the War of Spanish Succession which lasts from about 1701 to about 1713-ish. And they hired loads and loads and loads of pirates in order to have them fight as privateers, which are basically mercenaries for the government to attack enemy ships. And so a lot of pirates chose to do this because they were pardoned of all their crimes and they would actually get paid very, very well doing this. But then when the War of Spanish Succession ends, most of these privateers stand up unemployed overnight. And many of them turned to piracy and many of them were colleagues and kind of knew each other. You know, Benjamin Hornigold was captain of a ship that a young Blackbeard was on, whose name is actually Edward Teach. 
Henry Jennings sailed with Charles Vane, who would later sail with Jack Rackham. Like there was, you know, lots of these kind of connections happening. Right, right. And then the West Indies, were they the same kind, just different location? Yeah. So after the war, Spanish succession kind of really starting around 1713-ish until about the late 1720s, the vast majority of these pirates were sailing in and out of the Caribbean and up and down the North American coastline. Some of them were sailing in the South Seas or along South America and off the coast of West Africa, like Bartholomew Roberts. Yeah, but the majority out of the Caribbean and then up and down the North American seaboard, because at this point, there's so much successful trade happening between these two regions. And it's really great opportunity for a lot of pirates to sail and try to rob merchant ships and other ships and try to become really powerful. Nassau and the Bahamas in general, geographically, is in a phenomenal location, being kind of a bit southeast off the coast of Florida sort of a perfect gateway for passage for people that are heading both into the West Indies and also north into North America. So it's kind of a good situation for them for a a period of time. Right. And you wonder, you know, now I'm sure the weather wasn't as volatile as it is now, but you wonder what happens when you, it's not like they could forecast, you know, storms, a hurricane or whatever. What do you think they did? Did they talk about any of that in the history books? Um, They don't talk about it very much. There are some storms that do show up quite significantly, such as the Spanish treasure fleet, the Urca de Lima, that crashed off the coast of Florida because of a storm. Okay. Uh, a very famous pirate named Samuel Bellamy, who captured a French slaving ship called the Widaw, which was one of the most largest and wealthiest ships, and he managed to catch it after a three-day chase. And he sailed up North America with it to Massachusetts, but then got caught in a massive storm and sank and crashed on the shore, and only wow. two members of his crew survived. Dang. Everybody else, including Bellamy, died. Mm. So those are some examples we have of storms that kind of are coming in and affect it, but otherwise, except for logbooks where they're just simply detailing the weather, we don't really see many stories talking about it. Yeah, and those logbooks, you know, is at least what you've told me in the past, and also what I've seen on just Black Sails, they were very organized. Like they kept. Yeah. It, I I was surprised. I really because it seems so barbaric. All the other things that happened to them, you know. So you just wonder, wow, this stuff is just so organized, comparatively speaking, you know. Oh yeah, pirates had to be organized like that, or else it would be their demise because yeah. they're going into such a dangerous line of work. And they do have lots of people who are actually financing pirates kind of on the down low, um, different governors for a while, because uh, pirates are bringing in wealth and goods into a lot of the different plantation colonies, and also parts of North America. But Britain is changing the laws yeah. and saying anyone who colludes with pirates will be counted as a pirate and tried as such. Mm. But yeah, pirates had to be organized. They were very strategic, you know, a good successful pirate was. And so I remember some people telling me they thought the first season of Black Sails was kind of boring because they're like, oh, they're just doing all this negotiation and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, it's amazing how detailed they're getting because that is how it was. Any other major maritime player, they had to work with their financiers. They had to kind of make sure they had their correct alliances and make sure that they had good relationship on the ship because that, you know, is the definition of survival. Absolutely. No, it really is. And you also talked in one of your videos about tattoos. And I was kind of surprised. I mean, I, I did not not think they had tattoos. I thought they did. But there was a reason they would have tattoos. Yeah. So it was really common for sailors to have tattoos. You know, tattooing has been around since, you know, the beginning of humanity right. for very various reasons and sailors often had tattoos and they would usually represent several different things so sometimes they might have hearts or flowers which would kind of represent their loved ones at home sometimes they might have 
certain symbols like an anchor to kind of, you know, represent their life at sea or other pieces of maritime, you know, suspicion, which would lead them to want protection. And some would also have identifying tattoos, you know, in case they died at sea because they needed people to identify them. Now, here's the thing, you know, why would a pirate want that? Here's what we have to remember. Pirates were sailors Mm -hmm. and all pirates left a legitimate sailing career to become a pirate at some point. That's how pirates came to exist. So, yeah, it stands to reason that there were many pirates who had these identifying tattoos, you know, not because they made a mistake, but because they were they were sailors, regular sailors at one point. Right, and so right. this is one of the ways that a lot of pirates were able to be identified. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Just, oh, here's my tattoo. Now, it's not like dental records anymore. We don't have that ability. <laughs> it's right. Like, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, also, and let's let's talk about the governor of Nassau, Woods Rogers. He kind of was the demise of all the pirating in the Bahamas. And I just thought there was also a nobleman, William Maurice. He was hanged, drawn, and quartered and back in 1241. And he was a nobleman. And, it, and it's like, you're a nobleman. And guess what? Doesn't matter. You're still going to have this kind of death. And that's horrible. Oh, my God. Right, right. Exactly. He's kind of the first known person identified as a pirate to be executed for his crimes in England. Um, and now, of course, there would have been other pirates in the past who definitely would have also been executed for this. But this is the first one kind of on legal record that we have in England, you know, post William the Conqueror. So but we don't know anything about him except his name and the fact that he was most likely a nobleman, which also makes it quite significant because, you know, if they're willing to execute a nobleman for being a pirate, then that kind of shows how serious they took the issue. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, you're thieves. You're, you know, let's be honest. That's what you are. You're thieves. But I do think it's very interesting. Yes, they're thieves, but they have uh, so much organization. They do not allow drinking pretty much on the ships. Uh, you know, it depends. It depends on the pirate captain. Some okay. did. Um, some did not. Okay. I was thinking that most of them did not because I would think you'd need your wits about you. But, you know, hey, maybe they were like, okay, here you go. <laughs> have some Madeira wine. <laughs> the majority of pirates did drink. In fact, that's one of the things they were known for and what really annoyed so many people is because they would come on land sometimes in certain areas and be known for getting really riotously drunk all the time in fact a lot of pirates their demise was met because of drinking but Mm. you know they would capture a major ship and one of the major lucrative things to get was madeira wine in particular uh portuguese kind of dessert wine that was the most popular and you know, it's tasty, it's good, it's expensive, but they would often end up drinking it and kind of having a party. This is actually how Jack Rackham got caught because (laughs) that's exactly what they were doing. And, but then you have some pirate captains, like oddly enough, Edward Lowe, who's, you know, earlier I said the most sadistic pirate to ever live. He banned all drinking on his ship for order. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You have Bartholomew Roberts, who himself was not a drinker at all whatsoever, didn't like it, but he acknowledged that allowing a bit of drinking helped morale. Most pirates would have rules like you could only drink so much, but you know, that varied. So yeah, obviously, the ones that were more successful probably didn't drink as much. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But back to Woods Rogers. So because he really did kind of put an end to this whole piracy in the Bahamas or or in the islands or whatever, the governor of Nassau. So tell me more about him. Woods Rogers is such an interesting character because, you know, most historians really credit him for playing a major role in helping to end piracy or what we call the golden age of piracy. Mm -hmm. But the endeavor was so difficult for him. So initially he fought in the war of Spanish succession as a privateer, and then he became a pirate hunter. 
he seemed to have this kind of personal vendetta against pirates, but he was also really, really ambitious. And he was so good that the British government decided, well, let's make him a governor of the Bahamas because they got a pirate problem. Yeah. So they establish him as the royal governor, the first known royal governor of the Bahamas. But here's the thing, you know, governors before him were also trying to get rid of pirates and they all failed. And Woods Rogers is so excited and kind of clamors for this that they said like, okay, yeah, we'll give this to you. But you know what, you kind of have to finance yourself. You know, we we don't really have the resources or the time and energy to be devoting a lot of money to you. So, you know, we can't really pay you much of a salary. We can't really give you much money. Woods Rogers is already pretty wealthy and he also has lots of financial backers in London. So he's like, okay, let's get lots of credit taken out. And also you'd think that with Nassau being such a notorious pirate haven that the British would absolutely want to stamp it out. But like I said earlier, the the Bahamas did not really produce much. Mm. So they weren't actually a very high priority. So Woods Rogers comes in, he brings like 130 to 150 people with him to help colonize the island. Um, There are already people living permanently, but he wants to establish it better. And he's got goals. He's going to build all these fortresses to defend the island, and he's going to eradicate piracy. And the first thing he does is he issues a proclamation telling everyone, anyone who surrenders themselves to me by September 5th, 1718, because he becomes governor in 1718, will be completely pardoned of all your crimes. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's great. Actually, 200 pirates take him up on this, well, including people like, yeah, including people like Jack Rackham mm-hmm. and Benjamin Hornigold. And Benjamin Hornigold actually becomes kind of a privateer and pirate hunter for Woods Rogers, believe it or not. Oh, it makes sense. Um, yeah, they know how they work. Yeah, exactly. But it's not really that much of a success because half of those pirates go back to piracy, including Jack Rackham. There is a massive kind of epidemic, some sort of illness that sweeps through the islands, like around the time Woods Rogers arrives. So a lot of the people he brings die. They don't really have very good resources. The, The three naval ships that have been told to kind of guard the island, they leave because they're like, isn't much of a point of being here. Now, Woods Rogers does manage to erect a large fort, and he actually does do a large mass execution of pirates. Oh, wow. So that's his kind of biggest success. But it doesn't help him very much because there are a lot of people on the island who have good relationships with pirates. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of an issue. He does manage to fend off a large attack from Charles Vane, who refused to take the pardon, absolutely hated Woods Rogers, but Charles Vane never successfully invaded and Woods Rogers was able to hold it off. Now, the issue is what happens, though, is Woods Rogers, he's getting sick, he's quite demoralized, it's not working as well as he wanted. So in like 1722, I think, he goes back to England and turns out his financial backers had liquidated his investment and Woods Rogers couldn't pay it back. So he's thrown into debtor's prison. Wow. At this point, since he, it was said to have failed, you know, they were like, oh, he failed. He didn't do anything to stop piracy. You know, his reputation's ruined. Mm. Now, what's quite interesting is supposedly, we don't know if this is true, but the story goes while he's in prison, he's visited by a writer who is putting together a biography of pirates and interviews Woods Rogers. And this book becomes a general history of the pirates. And the author, a man named Captain Charles Johnson, many people think it might have been Daniel Defoe under a pseudonym. Oh, really? Yeah. And we're us pirate historians kind of divided on that. There are some who say absolutely. um, And then there are those of us, including myself, who are like, eh, we don't know. So Captain Charles Johnson sings Woods Rogers praises, really crediting him for being the person to really stamp out piracy. Because around this time, piracy is declining at the same time. Mm. So it kind of works out with that timing. And he praises him so much. And the book is such a hit that Woods Rogers is released from prison. He gets his reputation restored and he gets his governorship restored. So he heads back, I think in 
1728-ish, but unfortunately he dies in 1732. Mm. But with his reputation restored Mm. and the fact that piracy had massively declined starting around the time he becomes governor, you know, a lot of people really accept his role in helping stamp out piracy because he really did absolutely everything he possibly could. So, you know, was he a success? It's actually kind of hard to say. A lot of circumstances were just working against him Mm. and also people before him. So it's kind of complicated, but he's a fascinating figure. No, he is. He's that's so interesting to me. And, you know, Rebecca, I'm just curious. I don't know if I even asked you this in the other episode. I know you're a history buff. Have you always been interested in piracy or did it just kind of fall on your lap? You know, it's interesting because I didn't really have an interest in pirates until I was in grad school um, doing my master's in history. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm from L.A. and my grandparents live on the beach. I grew up going every single weekend growing up. I'm a big swimmer. I love the ocean, blah, blah. So I was always into that. We would go to Disneyland every single year, and my one of my favorite rides was always Pirates of the Caribbean, nice. just because I thought it was fun. Yeah. But I didn't think of Pirates as anything besides that. I loved Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse, The Black Pearl, when it came out in theaters. I think I just graduated from high school when it came out. My friends and I saw it several times, and we, <laughs> it was just so fun. Yeah. But again, I love Jack Sparrow. But again, I didn't think much about pirates. It wasn't really until I was doing my master's degree. And you have to kind of pick an area of focus. And I was really torn between colonial America and early modern Britain. Mm. And I wasn't sure, like, you know, which one to go for. And one of the professors there had started kind of a new focus called Atlantic History. And it kind of combined everything. And so, yeah, it was great. And so that was perfect for me. So that became my focus. And one of the books we read was called Villains of All Nations by Marcus Redeker. And it was about the golden age of piracy and kind of how the British used like a dialectic of terror to get rid of pirates, like kind of the war on pirates, that sort of thing. And he talks about kind of like a Marxist view of, you know, pirates being anti-establishment and egalitarian and that sort of thing. And I found it really fascinating. And I began to wonder, I was like, well, if they were seen as such terrible people, how do we get from that to Jack Sparrow, basically? (laughs) Right? Yeah. And I wanted to explore it. And I will also be honest. I was like, if I want to be a historian and I want to go on doing a PhD, like, I want it to be not just an interesting subject for me, but an interesting subject for other people to engage with as well. Oh, you do and- a very good job of that. <laughs> you really do. No, you really do. I-, I-, I love all your videos and your videos. I mean, within like a minute or three minutes or however long you take for your uh, videos. Well, first of all, you make it fun. There's music in them. Thank you. And you, Thank you pick you. some, well, you pick some really good subjects that, and topics that I may or may not have thought of. And that's where I got a lot of my questions because I'm like, okay, there's some people that ask these questions or you bring them up and I'm like, I'm just as fascinated. So I'm going to have my listeners get a taste of what you do because here's the thing. You're going to start teaching some online classes about this specific stuff, aren't you? Yes, yes, I am. So it's a institution called Forever Scholars. It's similar to great courses where you can kind of sign up and take a class. But what's different about Forever Scholars is that the classes are live. What's good for me is I get to keep ownership of all my material, which is great. You can't do that with stuff like great courses. Oh, gotcha. But yeah, yeah, so it's going to be a five-week course. And it's starting, I believe, February 21st. It's not the cheapest. It's $295 to sign up. There's no homework or anything like that. Like I give suggested readings and it's mostly kind of me doing lecture with Q&A. And on February 7th through Forever Scholars, I will be doing a free lecture on public executions of pirates, which was the topic of my doctorate. So um, I got to announce that one. Wow. I got to announce that as well. That's that's free. That's craziness. Public and people, that was their entertainment. You know, I, it was. I, I, I know. 
I just, I, I don't know how people did it. I mean, I know that's all they had to look forward to. Maybe I don't even know, but it's just that that's so barbaric to me. Yeah, that was yeah. the thing. So yeah. that's coming up. And what, when did you say the end of February? Yeah, about February 21st is when the class starts. Okay. It'll be Mondays, 7pm Eastern time. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and it's five week course, right? Five week course? Five week course. It's limited to 30 people. So okay. sign up now. Okay. okay. Yeah, no, I'll add all of that to my yeah, I'll add all that to my show notes. Because guys, whenever I talk to her, Rebecca is amazing, first of all. But whenever I talk to her, she's so gracious. And she's so good at explaining things that you know, because you know, I thought I knew the Bahamas and Nassau and all that, the, all those areas so well. I, I watch your videos and I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't know this about all those islands. And I didn't know it was this close to Florida and all the things, you know, I mean, you think you would know it and you don't. So <laughs> you're so informative and it's so nice. And that's, that's what makes Thank me, you. yeah, it's just so much fun to watch your videos and just to talk to you in general. So guys, um, so oh, you're welcome. And listen, your, her books are out. One book is already out. It's called Why We Love Pirates and the hunt for Captain Kidd and the other books on the female pirates, the, the pirate queens and Bonnie and Mary Reed. That'll be a UK release in, I believe in April. She doesn't know the American release yet, but you can Google her whenever you want to do that. And I'm sure it'll pop up, but I'll add all of her information. So if you want to keep up with it, you can, and you can also look at the class she has um, offered. So Dr. Rebecca Simon, again, you have been amazing. And I appreciate you so much for being on my podcast. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It's always so much fun to talk to you. Well, I love providing because I want to know at no cost. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review or you can just buy me a cup of coffee. It's kind of like a Patreon, but you don't have a monthly subscription and you can give whatever you feel led to give. I am a one-woman show and I do all of my scheduling and my interviewing and my editing. So just know your support is so greatly appreciated. And one more thing, I am a paranormal romance novelist and you can find all of my books on Amazon. Just look up my name. I'm very easy to find. Thank you guys again and I will see you next week.